stories brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your heart will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, Johnny T, and today my guest is Mandy Capehart. Mandy's an author, a speaker, a podcaster, a certified grief and life coach, and she's the founder of the Restorative Grief Project, an online community of grievers and grief supporters looking for movement while they heal. Mandy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, thanks for having me, Johnny. I'm doing really well, all things considered. <laughs> all things considered. Well, in today's day and age, that embraces a whole bunch of things. Yes, sir. <laughs> you help people with their grief, but I understand that you had your own journey of grief that led you to that point of realizing that people needed some more tools to help them. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes, it was never the path I intended for myself or the career that I expected to get into. But throughout the course of my life, I don't really remember a year that we weren't grieving someone in our family or our friends or even just transitions in life. In 2016, my mom passed away after a very, very short bout with cancer. It was just a sledgehammer to our life. And our daughter was a little over a year old when she died. And we had all these incredible ideas about what life was going to look like. And then she was gone and she was a huge part of what we expected. As I grieved and worked through that the first week after she died, it was a very numb state of being. It was a very practical, put my head down and just take care of all the arrangements and comfort my family. And then on the flight home, it was about seven days later, I had this moment with the Lord where I just said, all right, I'm either all in or I am done because I am so angry and so beside myself with losing my mom of all the people in life that could have died. It had to be her. The first couple of months, it was this delving into what my life looked like, what spirituality meant, what my relationship with God was going to become. I ended up going on a vertical retreat. Basically you're alone. And the coach just sends you out into the wilderness and says, go be with the Lord, go be present. So I did that. I joined this CrossFit boot camp to drop into my body and see if that's where all the pain was sitting. And through the course of a couple of years, what I realized was, wow, my grief is everywhere. It's in my mind, my heart, my body, and my spirit. And I am going to do my best to call those pieces of me back into alignment with my understanding of myself and, and what God has called me to. That's a nutshell version of what really launched me when the pandemic hit into grief work. <laughs> it's fantastic that you had that kind of environment growing up where you had a loving, supporting family. And it sounds like they had presented God to you in a way that you felt comfortable with. Yeah. Well, when I got to high school, my mom and dad had divorced by then. And they'd given me the decision when I was in middle school, whether or not to continue attending youth group. At the time, my mom was our youth group leader. I was going through chaos because it's middle school. So that's already what you're going through. And then we moved. We actually moved to the town I had grown up in, in the first half of my life. I was running with the completely like nerdy choir crowd. Those were my people, but I wasn't really involved in church. We had the church that we'd gone to when we were really little, but it wasn't until I got to college that I recognized in my own life, Hey, what I want 
And what is being presented to me are a little bit incongruous. Even the people I hung out with changed and they all respected my decisions to not go down any roads I didn't want to go down. But it wasn't until I joined and started running an on-campus faith group with a bunch of friends that I met through that group that I really recognized, okay, I want to explore what faith could look like for me. Really, that was when my relationship started to deepen and my mom and dad were always supportive and always really loving and did the best they could with what they had, which is all I can ask of anyone, <laughs> I think. It makes a big difference for sure when you have that grounding in your life mm -hmm. to base those smart decisions on. We're all the time about when young people go off to college or university, what they're presented with can be diametrically opposed to their faith. So it's great that you had that grounding to make those correct decisions. It was always a matter of just knowing very well that I am certain about who I am. Everything else could be uncertain, but I had a purpose and alignment and just confidence in what I wanted. And of course that changed over time, but yeah, it was definitely what helped me not worry about peer pressure or <laughs> anything else in college. Yeah. I play hockey. I'm a goaltender. And I tell people, you got to think like a goaltender. You just don't care. Eat the referees, the crowd, everything else. Don't worry about it. Just play your game. Sensing that you're a person of purpose, did that help you develop from your point of grief into these materials? Did you find a real sense of this is something that I need to do and tackle it that way? Or was it birthed out of just, I got to find something rather than I have to create something to help people? No, it was definitely the former. It was a revelation on like day one of the pandemic shutdown in the US that happened in early March. In that moment, up until then, had gone through four years of really actively speaking about loss, working with people one on one, just in friendship contexts. That was the day that I said, This is a globe that is about to dive into untended grief for generations. And I don't want to live in that world. I want to interrupt that cycle and bring whatever level of grief literacy I can to the church primarily, but to the world at large, because the church is supposed to be the safest, most loving, wonderful place. Right. And we unfortunately know that the opposite is often true, especially when it comes to grief. Cause I was a worship leader in church for 16 years mm -hmm. and I stepped down just prior to 2020. I think it was for a lot of reasons, what was difficult was the church family I'm a part of is this incredible community of rich, vibrant, loving, curious people. And yet they didn't know what to do with me and grief events over the years that uh, having friends and family, even my age dying, watching people around me, not know what to do with people left behind was so painful. And so again, being that very driven purposely intentional kind of a person. I just decided, you know what, you don't know what to do with me. I'll teach you. And so my book and the work I decided to go into came out of this, a little bit of necessity in that I would always wanted to write a book and I was now unemployed for, because of the pandemic. And so I thought, let's take the time now is better than ever. I realized in that season that my purpose is to find what brings me fully to life and help others find that as well. And when you're grieving, everything in our lives is in misalignment. The disarray is just so disruptive to our sense of self, let alone our sense of purpose in the world. Bringing that to the church meant 
challenging a lot of our notions about what it means to grieve and how it impacts our faith, how our faith plays into the recovery process and the integration that is required in a grief situation. Because if we just dismiss it with scriptural platitudes and take our focus away from actually looking for healing and restoration in our lives, then we're going to get 30 years down the road and be triggered. And all of a sudden the same exact feeling from day one of grief comes flooding back. And that's just a disservice to us. And I really think it's outside of what God has called us into when it comes to bringing his compassion and bringing love and fullness to other people. We can't do that if we don't know how to bring it to ourselves as well. So you're absolutely right. It was purposeful. And every time I even approach someone's grief story, I try to bear that in mind that it's so much more than just another client or another conversation about what I do for a living. It's so much more than that to me. And I think it's important that the church and us as believers, we're not protected from grief. We don't live in a bubble where bad things don't happen to us. People get sick, people die, people have accidents. We as believers need to represent God truthfully to the world and say, we have these struggles too, but here's how we work our way through it. Really common in the church to engage in spiritual bypassing, which is typically unintentional. And it's this idea that we can, for ourselves, be grieving something and then find what brings us peace, find what makes us feel more in alignment and think that that is the prescription to fix it and to offer anyone else that we encounter. And so a lot of my work ends up being working with grief supporters to teach them how to actually be a support that is wanted, that is desired, as opposed to the person who says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that you lost them. I'm so glad God has better plans for you. Or I'm so glad they're in another place. Or the scriptures say, all of those are so well-intentioned, but from a griever's perspective, they are typically so poorly received because in that moment, I don't need to be reminded of the scriptures that I know that actually causes me pain because they create so many questions for me personally, when my mom was dying, probably a year and a half into my grieving process after she died, I realized that I had been blaming myself for not praying more and for not laying hands on her. Mm. And I was so angry for so many reasons, but the moment that I saw what I was carrying, that lie that I was believing that somehow I was responsible or that my faith was too little, <laughs> it released the opportunity for me to ask some really intentional and curious and compassionate questions of God, of myself, of my faith, and of my understanding of what life and grief actually look like in the world. You're right. Christians are not insulated from loss or from grief. When we act like we are, and we protect ourselves out of this sense of thinking, well, I have to represent my faith well. It's a complete disservice to ourselves and our witness, even as believers, just because it feels so inauthentic because the authentic is going to be able to confess that there is pain and that it hurts and that it's okay that it hurts. It's okay that there's no bow on the package and we can set it and present it for everyone around us. It's okay that it's completely chaotic and makes no sense. That concept of spiritual bypassing is one that a lot of believers I've worked with are are a little bit fearful of approaching because it does challenge the notion of certainty and completion. And, And yet I'm someone that says, Hey, wait a minute. This is literally what Jesus did. He looked around and he invited us into flourishing. He invited us deeper into big, unanswerable questions. Why would this be any different? 
I agree. And it makes me think about the parable, the seed falling on different types of ground, the rocky soil and on the good soil. But in all those cases, no matter what kind of ground it falls on, it has to die first before it can bring forth whatever, whatever it is that it's growing. If I'm understanding you correctly, we need to let go of those preconceived ideas, maybe of how we should respond in grief and just let God take us down to the place where he shows himself to us and starts bringing forth that Mm -hmm. true growth from that incident or whatever it may be. A lot of that looks like finding techniques and support tools that starts with clients too, in knowing who we are and who we are becoming. Because the process of becoming is ongoing. And as believers, if we can honor that process of becoming and allow ourselves to be beginners, even in our faith, even when it's been 30 years that we've practiced, that understanding of not quite yet, but ongoing growth is so crucial because the humility it requires to be a beginner is actually where I feel Jesus really shows up in in my story, even on behalf of grievers who are trying to find a way to reconcile their loss and their faith and make sense of it again. What can I do that brings me closer or feels like healing? My book is a great example. It does not feel like healing for a lot of people. And before I even recommend people to buy it, I often ask questions. Is your faith connected to any part of your grief? Are you grieving a loss of faith? Is there a relationship that was really heavily intertwined with your faith that is causing you grief? Because if so, my book might not be the right resource for you and that's okay. And so finding what moves the needle for us as individuals really requires absolutely partnering with the Lord and waiting on what we might typically think of as the big answer. I'm going to test out these drawers and hold them up against the character of the Lord and who I know him to be, because I know my relationship with God is not the prescriptive. Here's a balloon. It's okay that it's not your favorite color. It's still a gift from God. My understanding of God is here are balloons. What color do you love? It's all a gift for me. What part brings you to life? What speaks to who you are? But the idea being there's no one prescription for any of us. There's this generosity of spirit in the Lord that we are invited into, and it's going to look different for every one of us, but it's that intentional partnership with God, even in our lowest places that we allow Holy Spirit to groan on our behalf and bring us closer, even when we don't have the words to speak. You mentioned providing tools. For people that are grieving, somebody's listening today and they're going through some grief and they don't know what to do. What kind of direction would you point them in with some practical ways to to help them move forward in their grief? I love this question because the idea we all have about grief is that we need to have a a 12-step program that we have access to, and then we can get to the end of grief and we can be done with it. It all stems from that misnomer of the five stages of grief, which originally they are denial, anger, bargaining depression and acceptance, but those five steps were developed for people who are terminally ill. It was an observational study that created this data and we've run with it with the idea that it must apply to all of us. And the truth is, if you are terminally ill, you are getting to a point where you have to accept that you will pass, but the rest of us are still here. And so my process of looking at grief and thinking like that's irrelevant. Grief is not linear. It is cyclical. It's okay that I'm going to come back to these stages and I'm probably going to need something after acceptance. And so for me, that looks like restoration. Finding restoration means finding the pieces of 
our experience in life that actually meet the needs of our mind, our heart, our body, and our spirit. So when we are grieving, all of those four pieces of our whole self go into misalignment. Historically, and this is true of some denominations in Christianity and some it's not. If we have this filter that says we are not worthy or we are bad or that we have bad parts, it can be really complicated to try and even give our body or our spirit or our heart or our mind the grace enough or the attention to ask questions about what we might need. So for our audience's purposes here, actually examine your belief systems Examine if you believe your mind is trustworthy and if it's not unpack why, because if it's not, then every thought you have, you're going to be skeptical of every breakthrough that you think through or think about, or something that resonates in your mind and feels really settling in your body. You might be skeptical of it. I love to point out the scripture that goes completely out of context. The heart is deceitfully wicked. I just think that's such a burden on someone who is already grieving and heartbroken to then have to carry this belief that their heart wasn't worth being whole in the first place. I'm very much a figure out your story by asking some really uncomfortable questions first. Most of my clients don't love that because I'm forcing them back on their heels. My argument is grief already has put you back on your heels. It has already blown up your belief system, your sense of self. It has blown up your understanding of where you are in the world and your place going forward. Lean in, lean in, trusting that your faith will provide avenues for revelation, will become this tangible incredibly rich thing that you never expected it to become because you're being really honest and humbled. I was humbled. I'm humbled every day doing this work. (laughs) It's such a beautiful transformative process for me. I hope that answered your question because I know I didn't offer a tangible. that's, (laughs) That's good because that starting point for everything needs to be our humility. We have to begin by understanding that God knows better than we do. And his ways are not our ways. We've tried all these different things in our life, whether it's trying to work through grief or trying to be successful or whatever it might be, but Mm -hmm. God knows better than us. And so we have to lay down our pride in ourself and our own belief system, as you've called it, to really find out what it is God is saying to us before we can take tangible steps forward. I think too, it's so easy to say God's ways are not our ways and to use that as a reason to not pursue grief work, passing time heals wounds or or whatever people like to say. I just find that to be so counter to what Jesus actually called us into, which was partnership and co-laboring, which was this beautiful relationship that is back and forth, that is expressive, that is going to reform how we were created and how we have built our lives. And I think that that's the really individualized part of grief work is that we want there to be an easy fix. We want there to be one book that solves everyone's problems or one encounter or one conference or one scripture. And the reality is not one person on this planet is going to have the answer for the next person. It's so personal, just like our faith practices are recognizing that life and grief are just two sides of the same coin. When we see those coins flip back and forth, we actually have just more accessible method of approaching our our story because they're intertwined. Perfect. If people want to find more about your podcasts and your book, where would they go? 
Yeah, great question. So I have two podcasts. I co-host the Uncomfortable Grace podcast. It's in its second season right now. And it's just conversations with people who, like me, look at the margins and say, that's awesome. Let's go figure out what's in them. Because even though it's out of our comfort zone, there's something really beautiful happening there. So that's one that's on Apple and Spotify and all the things. And so is Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. That is a weekly podcast that I put out pretty short format, mostly just working through concepts or pop culture around grief, things that are actually moving the needle for myself or my clients. And I bring that to an audience. And then there are a lot of featured interviews as well. Same thing. It's on Apple and Spotify and everything is available on my website as well at mandycapehart.com. Okay. And that includes your online grief community? Actually, that right now is hosted on Facebook. I'm glad you mentioned that. So the Restorative Grief Project is a free, private, self-guided grief community. It's very low-key. I bring in a lot of content and just encourage everyone to go through it at their own pace, start conversations that are awkward and give people a place to fall apart, that they're not going to be handed a platitude or any of that other spiritual bypassing stuff I mentioned earlier. That's actually just hosted on Facebook and anybody can join. Last thought, as we get ready to wrap this up, what would you say to people about the character of God to help them with their grief? Oh, that he's so much more tender than we think. One thing that I kept in my face when I was grieving was this beautiful, I don't remember if it was a dream or if I was just a waking dream, but I was sitting at a picnic table on the table with my feet on the bench and all around me was a tornado. I was in the eye of the storm and I was looking around and watching all of these things that had hurt me, people's homes that I knew trauma had occurred within, people themselves, situations like... (laughs) events and moments and buildings were swirling all around me. And I looked over and Jesus was wearing a hoodie and jeans and (laughs) sitting on the table next to me, just looking at me. And he was so quiet and he was so peaceful in that moment. I felt like I could reach up and grab anything out of the tornado and present it. And he would just sit with me and we would look through it and we would unpack or dismantle whatever was needed because we were secure together in this eye of the storm. And what I remembered in that moment, and I carry with me, is this vision of his tenderness and how easy it would be to say, I'm at peace because I'm in the center of the storm and Jesus is here. He wasn't the one calling things out of the tornado. He was the one waiting for me very patiently and very tenderly to say like, can we look at this together? And I felt more peace and more compassion and more love and more security in the man Jesus but also in the Godhead of Jesus in that moment than anything else. Culture around me absolutely had framed God as this corrective, disappointed father figure. It wasn't the narrative I held deep down. My consciousness was trying to say, no, if you're really learning about scripture, if you're really learning about God, you need to learn how to behave and learning how to behave has never really been my strong suit. I do what I want. And having that visual for the tenderness of God was so precious to me. That's beautiful. And there's so much truth in that. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. 100% sure there's going to be people joining your Facebook group to just shed off some of these things and just grow and get to know God in that beautiful way. Thanks so much. And I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you for having me, Johnny. It's an honor and bringing this uncomfortable conversation to new audiences is my favorite thing. So let's all talk and learn more about grief. (laughs) Amen. God bless you so much. I'm trying hard 
hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.